Colorado and welcome on my next guest. We've got former Cowboys and Jaguar safety, Mr. Barry Church. Barry, is everything going for you? It's going great, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, looking forward to talking some Cowboys, man. Let's get it started. Absolutely. Uh, first question, how is Mexico? I know you're in Mexico. Oh, yes. It was unbelievable, man. We stayed down in Cabo, which is only uh, like a two-hour flight here from Dallas. So it was an amazing time, man. Um, got, I didn't get the golf, so that sucked. But overall, it was, it was a great time. It was a great time. Did you guys stay in the resort? I know I've heard some of, some of the resorts are like, hey, like, you got to watch out for some of these people outside the resort. Yeah, so we stayed at the Zadone. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's one of those Ritz-Carlton spots. But okay. uh, we, we stayed on the resort pretty much the whole time. We, we left here and there for a couple bites to eat. Oh, cool. But um, overall, we just kind of stayed at the resort. And uh, they kind of make you take this, like, they make you take the COVID test before you come back to the States. So we took ours a couple of days before we left. And, uh, yeah, and if you don't, if you get, if you get positive, you ain't allowed back. So it's a, it's a risk you got to take, but it was overall, it was a good experience though. They're going to say, if you get the positive, you got to start that new visa process because you live this there now. This is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, So I know it's good. The drafts, so we're recording this on Tuesday, drafts on Thursday, posting this next Monday. So if you know who Jerry Jones is going to take, you can say it now because we won't know till Monday. People won't know. Any- I will. My my inkling, my inkling on the whole thing is I think they're gonna take Sertan at ten, but that's just an inkling of mine. I mean, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a defensive guy, uh, so I'm a little bit biased towards that. So I think they're gonna take Sertan. He's probably one of the only blue chip prospects on the defensive side of the ball that I see. Uh, so, but we always gotta worry because if one of those top offensive dudes slip down, like a Kyle Pitts or one of these good offensive linemen, you know, Jerry's all about selling tickets and about about getting that offense right. So. That's the only thing that gets me nervous, but hopefully it's a, it's a defensive guy because we know we need it down here. You, you're not thinking Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle because they don't have any receivers, man. They don't, they don't, they never take receivers. Oh, <laughs> man, we would be loaded if we took those guys. We already had Cooper, Gallup, CD. I mean, if they if they took some more, man, I'd be extremely shocked. But you can't do anything past Jerry Jones, man. He he does the unpredictable. Were you surprised they took Lamb last year? That one kind of got me by surprise. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, he's definitely, you know, he's a baller. He came in his rookie year and he, he represented the number 88 extremely well as he was one of our top receivers out there. Um, but I was surprised, man. I was surprised because, you know, as, as we had these past couple of years, we struggled on the defensive side of the ball. So I thought for sure, you know, we would address that need maybe on a defensive line, maybe in the linebacker room. But I mean, when they say if, if, if that guy's that high on your board and he slips down to you where you can get him, then uh, it's not about, you know, scheme. It's more players over scheme. So they went players over scheme with CeeDee Lamb, and it, it ended up working out uh, for them on the offensive side of the ball. Now, we all know defensively, I mean, we were one of the historically worst defenses in the National Football League last year, especially against the run. So um, and that part hurt us. But overall, I mean, that CeeDee Lamb pick, I think it was a solid pick, and I think we'll just get better and better as time goes on. You guys, I'm pretty sure you guys against the run, you gave up uh, three touchdowns to Antonio. They gave some was at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Yeah, that was Thanksgiving. I mean, he ran through that defense like a hot knife through butter, man. It was it was just no stopping the kid, man. He like he's just running through everybody, arm tackles left and right. And that was the second time he did that because I mean, he was he didn't go for three touchdowns the first time, but he ran rub shot all over us when we were in uh, Washington earlier in the season. So that just goes to show you how much that defensive side, you know, you need to bolster that up. Because if you can't stop anybody, if you can't stop in the run or the pass and they get to pick your poison on you, you're not going to have a successful team. And we saw that last year. Even if Dak Prescott didn't go down with an yeah. injury, that defense wasn't stopping anybody. It was going to, I mean, we were going to have to outscore everybody on every single game. And that just wasn't going to happen. 
Well, they gave it up like what three, four hundred yards a game before Dak went down. It was insane. It was ridiculous. We gave up like forty-eight passing touchdowns. I mean, it, it was it was ridiculous on that defensive side of the ball. We had, I think, there was about five games where teams had over three hundred yards rushing on us, and I mean, you just can't do that because that's basically letting an offense pick their poison against you, run, pass. I mean, it's, if they could do that, like I said earlier, you're, you're not going to stop anybody. And we've seen what happened during this season. One of the worst records we've had since twenty fifteen. Were you surprised they gave they gave Dak the contract now rather than seeing until when he came, finally came back healthy? I'm not gonna lie, I, I was surprised. Um, no one just coming back from such a huge, significant injury as that was early in the season. I thought they would let it, you know, maybe go one more year with the franchise and make sure he was uh, coming back healthy and make sure he can be that same guy. But they went ahead and plunged on him. I mean, they gave him 160 mil. And I, I was surprised personally because I thought it was going to wreck the cap. I thought for sure we gave him that much money. We're not going to have any money left over to help this defensive side of the ball or bring in any free agents. Uh, but they, I guess they worked it out somehow to where his cap number is only like 22 mil this year against the, against the team's overall cap, which, leave, which left them with a nice little chunk of money to go, go out there and sign some guys like Keanu Neal and DeMonte Casey. And uh, they were able to bolster the D-line a little bit as well. So I was surprised they were able to get that done. But it was just a matter of time before that guy got paid. I mean, he was, since 2016, he was a starter as a rookie. And he kind of, I was a part of that team. And he kind of just led that team, even as a young dude. And, and there was guys in front of him, veterans like Tony Romo was out there. You got Jason Witten and other guys. But guys kind of just followed Dak's lead ever since he first came in. So he had that leader um, characteristic about him. And then his on-the-field play was was just astounding, and it just got better and better as the years progressed. So it was only a matter of time before he hit that bankroll. Um, I wish they would have done it maybe two years ago, maybe after his uh, second or third year. So I mean, he would have been a lot cheaper. But hey, you wait this long, you gotta you gotta pay the piper eventually. What do you remember about that that um his rookie year, him coming in that that off season that that preseason? I'll tell you what, it was we kind of when he first got in, it was kind of like oh you know fourth round guys and learn the ropes. He you know he may see the field, he may not. Um, but I tell you, it was, it was the game that swung me where I was like, man, if anything happens to Romo, this guy's going to be the truth. It was that, um, the game preseason game against the Los Angeles Rams and, uh, Romo, he wasn't playing. It was only like the second preseason game. So starters didn't really play. And so Dak had the opportunity to start and go out there and, and uh, show what he had. And he, he ran with the ones and just to see his just calm, cool, collective composure out there from snap number one until he was out of the game. You just sat there and you were just like, all right, he, he got it. He got something that that uh, other cats don't have. And then lo and behold, you know, Romo gets hurt later on in that season and Dak's thrust into the lineup. And I don't think anybody, including, you know, the Wittens of the world, the Sean Leaves of the world, and nobody thought, you know, oh, this guy can't do it. We're in trouble now. Just because they saw what he could do in that preseason. They saw what he can do all training camp. And they were already kind of, they were already had, had his back going out there. So, he was able to do that, and then the rest was history. 2016, 13 and three, rookie of the year, yeah. and then th- going on throughout the rest of his career. So, I mean, he just he just showed a lot of us that that preseason and that offseason that he could be the guy, and he proved it to us during the regular season. Correct me if I'm wrong, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, Romo got healthy, and they kept Dak in. Yeah, that <laughs> and that was interesting, man. Because you know. That whole season, you know, we figured Romo might have either been out the whole year or if he was going to, if he did get healthy, he'd be thrust back into the lineup. But as the games went on, I mean, he went, I think Dak went on like an eight or nine game winning streak. We were like, uh, I think we were like eight and one or nine and one rolling, at the time. Rolling, rolling, rolling. And, um, and Romo was getting back to trying to get healthy. And then a week or two before he announced he was healthy, I think Dak 
we played over in uh, Pittsburgh and it was the Steelers versus the Cowboys. It was a great battle back and forth. Um, but then the last couple last couple uh, possessions, you just saw just Dak take over the game. And I think that that was the game that pretty much swung everybody that, you know, no matter what happens, even if Romo gets back healthy, this is the guy that's going to lead us. And that proved to be that that proved to be it. You know, when when Romo came back two weeks later saying, you know, let me get a chance to get the job back or let me get a chance to help this team win. Uh, the coaches didn't have, let it happen. You know, they stuck, stuck with Dak. Even the the veterans that were in there were just like, you know, hey, this this guy got the juice right now, and we got to go ahead and get behind this guy. You know, Tony Romo's always been a great teammate, but it's just how it is. At the end of the day, it's a business, and you got to win games. So when he can't get thrust, uh, when when Dak pretty much solidified himself as a starter, it was kind of it was a little bit of tension. You could yeah. feel in the rock locker room here and there, but overall, I mean, you just knew that this guy was something different, and uh, it was his it was his team from there on out. Do you think Tony was kind of waiting for like, all right, if he messes up, I can get my chance back? Or do you think he kind of like in his mind, he's like, my, my time here is done? I think he thought that at first, like, you know what, all right, I can I can at least get my shot back if uh, if something happens or, or if the coaching staff just give me a chance. But after a couple games rolling past, it was just, you know what, he, he kind of just realized. And even in his press conference when he retired, he kind of he uh, mentioned it like, you know, hey, this this is his team now. This is this is his legacy. He has to take this star going forward uh my time has passed so i think after the first couple of games that he realized even when he was back healthy he was like you know what this is his team i'm not really i can't even compete with that anymore and that's that's what the case i mean he went to the broadcast booth and uh he's making a killing there now <laughs> yeah. so yeah. <laughs> i think it worked out for everybody do you think he has any anything left in him that maybe like, if somebody said tony we, we want you to come try out maybe as a backup do you think he's he's got any of that left in him or do you think he's completely dedicated broadcast Oh, he's, I think he's out of there at broadcast. I mean, they, they paid that guy so much per year. <laughs> I think he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm the max. Over he here. got the super max. He gets, the he gets... super max. I mean, that, it, that's hard to hear of, like, a guy that retired, and then he gets to the to the A team, like like that. Usually they you know, start out low, you know, the B or C team, and then they, they work their way up. But he went like that. And, uh, I mean, he, he's a talent. He is a talent in the booth. I mean, I love listening to his games, love listening to how he goes about it. So, I think he made the right decision but as far as football i think uh i think those days are long behind him and it's a, and outside of a dax a zeke last year they didn't really have the best year Are you expecting a much better 2021 from him from zika i am i am i mean last year it was uh it was a tough time for the whole team like i said with all those injuries and, yeah. and not only that there was injuries across the offensive line i mean you look at tyron smith lyle collins uh travis frederick retiring i mean that whole that whole unit right there was a big reason of, of, of why Zeke was able to be successful those first couple of years. And uh, when you lose all that and then you throw in a makeshift offensive line like they had, they were they were mismatching peaches. They had uh, Zach Martin going from guard to tackle. I mean, it was all over the place. Um, you're running back. He, he's going to suffer because of that. He doesn't because there's not a unity on that front line that can block for him like he had in the past. So he's going to suffer from that. But he also got to step his game up because, I mean, he had a lot of fumbles last year. I think he had five fumbles, which is a which is, you know, head scratching for him. He never turns the ball over. And then uh, he was a part of a couple, you know, interceptions where things just bounced off his chest. So he definitely has to step his game up, but along with that offensive line getting healthy, I feel, I figure he's going to have a great bounce back year. And this team as a whole should have a great bounce back year. What do you think Dan Quinn brings to the defense? I'm hoping and I'm praying that he brings that simple style defense like he had in Seattle 
down to Dallas. I mean, when, when these guys were rolling back in 2018, when Jalen Smith and the Wolf Hunter and that defense was flying around, they're under Rob Marinelli's defense. And when I played under his team, under his defense, it's very simple. We're in cover three, we're in man-to-man, or we're in cover two. You know what we're in, but we're just going to play that much faster because it's, we're not thinking as much that you're just going to have to try. You're going to have to try to beat us, but we're going to be flying all over the place. And that's what I hope he brings down from that uh, his time in Seattle when he had Earl and Cam Chancellor and those boys. It was a simple defense. There was no, like, traveling corners here and there. It was just simple. Look, this is what we're in. We're not disguising. See what you got. And I hope he can bring that style to this Dallas defense because last year, uh, no disrespect to Mike Nolan, but he had those guys thinking crazy. I mean, they were just, you know, you just see the gears turning <laughs> as the play was progressing. There was no communication. It just seemed like cats had no idea what they were doing out there. And it, and it showed in the tape. I mean, like we said earlier, guys were rushing the ball all over the place, passing the ball all over the place. So if we can just dumb down this system, get these guys not to think as much, just go out there, run and hit and uh, focus on your responsibility. I think he'll get the most out of this defense. And uh, hopefully, I mean, it's got to be better than last year because that, that was that was pretty bad last year. And uh, if we want to go anywhere, if we want to go anywhere and have any type of run in the playoffs, we're going to have, have to have a better defense. So hopefully Dan Quinn can bring that style down to Dallas and we can get the most out of these players. If they don't go corner, what would be your second preference for the first round pick? If they don't go, if they don't go corner, I would say, and it's a tough decision, but I would say you got to go Micah Parsons or trade back. Now, I say Micah Parsons because this guy, he's an explosive. He might not be the blue chip like Sertan is, but he is an explosive sideline to sideline linebacker. He just he has amazing range and he can cover. Um, but the thing about him is we already kind of had that Keanu Neal where we got him. He's a safety, but we kind of made him a hybrid linebacker. And I think they would play too similar of a role. Like one would have to be on without the other one having to be on. So I don't know what we would do right there. It's kind of a wasted pick if we got if we picked him up because then we have to waste that five mil we just had on Keanu Neal. So for me, I would have to go Sertan, Parsons. But I would like if we don't get Sertan, I would like to trade back just to kind of get some more picks in the later rounds to kind of bolster the depth we need on this defensive side of the ball. Because if you know last year. Our team is it's kind of injury riddled. I mean, we, we are from every level, from defensive line, linebacker, to secondary. We had guys missing a bunch of time, and uh, we need more depth back there. We don't have a lot of depth. So for me, if we don't got Sertan, I'm trading back and, uh, and trying to bolster the depth of the defense. And then I want to talk about your other team, Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously picking first. Who do you think they're mm-hmm. going to take? Because everybody else. <laughs> Without <laughs> any, a doubt. Any, I mean, any, any doubt. Any doubt in your mind they take somebody else? Nah, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, Urban Meyer, he came down there for one reason, and that was to uh, to get Trevor Lawrence, man, to kind of bolster that offense or that that whole team back up. They got 11 picks this this um, NFL draft, so they're going to try to revamp their whole team. Uh, when I was there, I mean, we, we were we were loaded on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but from my time there, there's only one guy left that was a starter on that year, and that's, that's Miles Jack. So um, they're going to try to re-bolt, re- uh, revamp this team, and, and Urban's going to try to make it his own. I mean, we, we've seen when he was in Florida, he kind of had his own. Then, then Ohio State brought his own culture there. So I think he's going to try to do the same thing down here in uh, Jacksonville. The, the only thing, that only thing that I kind of – I don't know about Urban is it, it seems like anytime it's getting a little tough or a little hairy or things aren't going to situation – he kind of bolts out of town. I mean, it happened in Florida, happened in Ohio State when his teams weren't as good. He was like, all right, I'm done with this right now. So uh, I just want to – it kind of worries me how committed he is if things aren't going his way. Um, but he has full reign out there. He's basically the head coach and the GM. So we'll see what happens down there in Jacksonville. But I think they made the right hire with uh, Urban Meyer, and hopefully he can revamp this team and get it under his 
his philosophy and under his mold, and we'll see what happens from there. If Trevor Lawrence pulls an Eli, what do you do? Oh, that's see, that's the thing. That's what, <laughs> if he pulls an Eli, I mean, you got a couple other quarterbacks. You got to tell him now. There. You got to tell him now. You can't wait you till gotta, Thursday. Yeah, you got to tell, tell him now. You can't. You got to tell him now. I mean, it would be extremely messed up <laughs> if he was at the last second. You know what? I'm not playing. By the way, guys. this ain't happening. <laughs> This ain't going to work. This ain't going to work for me, guys. I can't let this happen. That's, that's a no that, for me. That's a no for me. That would be extremely disrespectful and off the charts. I mean, he, he would be a legend for that, yeah. but it would be disrespectful. And uh, hopefully he doesn't do that. that that's messed up. He got to tell him now or at the latest Wednesday morning. He can't wait. Can't wait anymore. No, Minch would be like, all right, let's go. We're getting, we're getting back. You know, you know the stash. You know the stash would be yeah. like, hey, I'm back in there. Yeah. I'm back in the yeah. saddle. It's, un- it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, who, who do you think's the best DB in this draft? Um, to me, it's got to be the guy I mentioned earlier, and that's Sertan. And and I, and I say that just, you know, he's he's got a he's kind of a five tour and all around player. I mean, he can do everything. He can he can play your man to man, press, bump and run, or he can play zone on you. And what impresses me the most about him. It's not his, not really his coverage skills, but his his willingness to stick his head in there. Most corners, if you know, if it comes to one on one tackling and they're out there in the open field with a the guy, they're, they're gonna make a business decision. You know, they're gonna, ah, you know, I didn't see him, or I, I kind of whiffed on that tackle. Uh, with this guy, it doesn't matter. He can be in the trenches with linebackers. He can be out there with defensive ends. It doesn't matter. He's setting edges and he's tackling as well as his cover skills. He has that pedigree because his dad played in the league for a long time. So I think he has the smarts and the IQ to play the position at an extremely, extremely high level. And I just see him as not only being the best corner in this draft, but possibly the best overall defensive player in this draft. Uh, he just has it all to me, and I think he would he would be a great cornerstone piece to the Dallas Cowboys defense and something that you could build upon. I mean, you got him on one side, yeah. and you got Trayvon Diggs on the other yeah. side, so you got your corners there, and then you just build it from there. And to me, I, I think he's the perfect candidate to go ahead and uh, get this defense kicked off at the right start. Are there any Toledo prospects we should be paying attention to this year? I don't know if they got anybody really big coming out this year. I know they got a decent quarterback out there, but I didn't know if he came out this year. He might be a junior, so I don't think he came out yet. Um, but other than that, I don't think they have any great prospects coming out there. I have to do my homework on that one. But, you know, Toledo, the Mac, they're always they're always jetting out guys that, that can come in here and people doubt them. They doubt them early, but they make the team and they just add depth. And the next thing you know, they're starting and they're, they're killing the game. I mean, look at Antonio Brown. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was a little bit different because he was a yeah. first-round pick. But I mean, you got cats all you got cats all over the uh, NFL for the MAC. They represent well. Um, how did you end up? How did you end up there? I know you're a Pittsburgh guy. Oh, uh, so it came it came down to me in the whole you know college recruiting process. It came down to three schools. It was you know Toledo, Cincinnati, and then uh, West Virginia. And at the time, West Virginia was like number two in the nation. They had Pat White and Steve Slayton and those guys. So they they were rolling at the time. And uh, when they offered me, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going down to West Virginia. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But when I went down there and went on my visit, I just had way too much fun. Like, I partied my butt off. At West Virginia? Like, I heard it's, yeah. all, it's all books all the time. There's anything else going on down there. <laughs> I mean, I'll, maybe it changed. But when I was down there, man, I, I partied crazy. And I realized, like, there was no way I was going to graduate. And, I mean, I had a great I had a great visit and all that. But. That was part of my plan of going to college. I have to graduate out of here. And I yeah. just felt like I, there's no way I would have if I went down to West Virginia. And then Cincinnati, they wanted me to play receiver. And there was no way I was taking hits out there. I mean, I took a hit in high school one time. I was like, there's ne- never again will I play offense. And then Toledo, 
And then when I got to Toledo, the visit was great. It was a family atmosphere. And uh, I knew I was going to have a chance to play early as a freshman. And uh, that was also big to me because I didn't want to sit around and wait to play. I just want to focus on my books and being on the field. And uh, it was a great combination for both of those. They treated me like a brother up there. And uh, I was I was glad I went to Toledo and ended up working out. Ended up working out for me. Yeah, in the Mac, do they just play on any day of the week? Doesn't really matter to them. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's Mac shit, man. You can catch us on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. No matter what day it is, if they can get on TV, they're gonna play those Mac games, man. <laughs> Who would you put on your your all time Mac route mush, uh, Mount Rushmore? Oof, I'll side of myself because I don't want to put myself on there. So I'll side of myself. All-time Mac legends, I would have to say Antonio Brown, because I played against him over in, over in Central Michigan, and he was a beast. So I'm going to have to go Antonio Brown. Um, oh, that was a, it was a running back out of Buffalo, and he went, to, he went to Green Bay. I think his name was something James. But this dude was a beast. In, I mean, he was, he was like Derrick Henry before Derrick Henry. He was that like big, massive dude. And you're like, how are we supposed to tackle this big defensive end? But uh, he, he was a beast out of there. Khalil Mack, who is, you know, he's doing, he's still doing work out there in the NFL. He's still killing the game. And then I'm going to have to go with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, he, he came in, uh, he left. I think he graduated in like 03. I didn't get there till 06. Yeah. But the dude was a legend from just watching his film and just watching how he, he kind of broke the, broke the mold for Mack guys getting, getting drafted. I mean, this is a big kid out of, out of Miami of Ohio. Everybody's thinking, oh, he's a Mack guy. He'll be in the mid rounds, maybe late rounds, but he kind of broke the mold and kind of opened the door for, for Mack guys to go in the first round. So, I'd have to say those are that's my Mount Rushmore of Mac football players. And I'm sure there'll be some. Oh, yeah, you gotta throw Kareem Hunt. I'll, I'll give an honorable mention oh, yeah. to Kareem Hunt. Yeah, he went to Toledo. So I'll give a I'll give an honorable mention to Kareem Hunt. He's still doing big things in the league right now. So those are my uh Mount Rushmore for the Mac Mid-American Conference footballs. <laughs> Did Toledo had a receiver in the last couple of years that's pretty good? Yeah, Deontay Johnson. He's out. He's Deontay in, uh, Johnson on the Steelers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's on the Pittsburgh right now. He's doing. He's doing. He's doing big things, man. Him and uh, Ben Roethlisberger got a connection right now, and he's tearing up the league. So he reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown. So that dude's doing big work out there. Were Were you focused on the NFL while you were at Toledo, or were you just kind of just focused on school and graduating? I was more focused on school because I figured out there was no way I was going to get out of the MAC conference and and be able to get into the NFL. So I never really had that as a dream. It just ended up coming to fruition, but. Uh, I was kind of focused on my grades, focused on the broadcasting thing. And um, I was going to go, if, if I didn't make it to the league, I was going to go work for Fox or Fox Toledo out there as one of their sports columnists. And uh, I just ended up having to make the league and, uh, and made that my just career. Just ended but, up having to make the league. Back yeah. <laughs> I ended up sliding in there, man. I ended up yeah. just, just barely just sliding in there and ended up making that a little career. But uh, overall, man, I was focused more on, on, on school and then uh, football came second, but it ended up working out, you know, where football kind of took over. But, I, you know, I always kept my, you know, teachings from my, what I did in Toledo. And I was able to graduate. And um, now I'm using those skills at my job now at the star where I work for at the, for the Cowboys. So pretty cool, man. It's a pretty cool yeah. circle. Tell, tell Jane Slater I said what's up. I know she's always busy, but now she's always there. Tell, tell her I said what's up. She's always Will busy. Do. Yeah, she's always um, busy. She's always, she's always doing something. She's like, I'm always like, <laughs> yeah, Leighton Vanderas on the podcast. I'm like, all right, no, but um, <laughs> how did the Cowboys come into the mix? Did you, who were, the, who were the kind of teams looking at you? And also, were they saying there's a chance you were to get drafted, or did you know you were gonna have to kind of fight for a spot? I kind of knew. I mean, once you get that that label of late, mid to late round draft, you kind of all right. There's a big chance I'll probably go undrafted. 
but it, you know, I, I had no idea I was going to go to the Cowboys because uh, a lot of people don't notice, but when you're undrafted, as soon as the draft's over, you get like 10 minutes, like 10 to 15 minutes to pick your team. You'll get a couple calls from teams. Your agent will say, all right, this team likes you, that team likes you, or this team likes you, you know, make your choice. You don't get to do a lot of research and, and think on it for a long time. You only get about 15 minutes. So as soon as the draft was over, uh, Brent Maxey at the time, which was the Cowboys safeties coach, he gave me a call. I was like, hey, man, look, we loved your tape. Uh, we, ended up, we ended up taking another safety ahead of you, but we'd love to have you come down here. Um, you know, our special teams coach, who was Joe, Joe D. Camillus at the time, he loved what you can do special teams-wise, and um, I think that'd be a great opportunity for you. And so uh, I knew getting into the door, I was going to have to be great on special teams, and uh, if, the, if the coordinator already liked me, you know, I might as well take a chance. So Took my chance, went down to camp, mini camp, OTAs, all that, training camp. Uh, I think I barely scraped in as far as uh, making a roster. I think I was like the 52nd or 53rd player that made the roster. Like, they coaches were telling me, yeah, we had to fight for you to be here. So uh, I never let them down in that regard. But it, it, was a, it was a good time. It was a good learning experience. And um, overall, it was great. I mean, it ended up happening, you know, the way it should have. Because if I would have been drafted, let's just say I would have got drafted in the late round, went somewhere probably would have got cut, you know what I mean? So it, it ended up working that I got to choose where I was going to go and I uh, got to do, get the most out of my production. In that 15-minute window, were you waiting on a text from the Steelers? I did, but it never came, man, it never came. I had met with uh, Mike Tomlin a couple of times at the Combine. You know, me being a Pittsburgh dude, I'm thinking, oh, this is this is it, man. If I'm able to play for the Berg, man, it's going, oh, this is going to be legendary. It's going to be. And then the draft went. I think they drafted like a punter or a kicker in the fifth round. I'm just like, man, what? How are these kickers even getting drafted right now over a safety? You know, I was kind of hurt about that, but uh, I never got the call from Pittsburgh. But when I did play against them, we beat them twice and I had two interceptions. So it ended up working out good in the long run. Who's your second choice for the team that's listening? They'd be like, damn, we could have had him. It was uh so it ended up coming down. It was Dallas, the Panthers, and the Jets, who were like my my I have I don't know which one should I go, which one should I go? And uh the, the what made me decide, like I said, to go to Dallas was just simply that the special teams coordinator was like, Man, look, this we want you down here. I want you down here personally. Um, uh, and we can make this thing work. And once I got that verification, I was like, all right, man, and if if at least two guys got my back in the coaching staff, I, I got a chance. I got a leg up on most of these guys. So let me go ahead and take my chances. Ended up working out pretty good. And then fast forward to you make you make the 53. What's next? You're just trying to just, just kind of just prove yourself every time you're out there or you, you feel like, all right, they'll eventually they'll see. Uh, no, I had to prove myself because uh, the first game we played was against Washington. So and I'm thinking, you know, I didn't know the rules. Like I thought everybody dressed and everybody got to, you know, if something happened, you would get a chance to play. But they only dressed 46 players, so I wasn't one of those guys. That's what made me think, oh, I'm just the 52nd or 53rd player on the roster because I didn't get to dress that game. And I remember this, and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I'll be all right. And I remember the special teams coach was like, no, that's not good. You always want to be dressing. You never want to be just on the sidelines because if you're on the sidelines, you're not going to make the team the next couple games. So I was like, all right, that was the last time I was ever not dressing for a game. I made sure I was on that. I was made sure I was out there, whether it's on special teams, whether whatever it is, I made sure I was out there, at least dressed in my pads. And uh, so I had to just grind. I had to grind through special teams, kick off, punt. And uh, that's one of the hardest jobs ever. I think one of the hardest jobs as far as NFL is concerned is being on that kickoff return. Because you got guys running down the field. You know, it looks like they're flying down big 6'4", 250, 60-pound guys running four, five, four, six, running down there just to run you over. And you got to try to stand in front of them and block. It's one of the hardest things to do in the NFL. But um, 
I made it work for the first couple of years until I was able to get my opportunity on the defensive side of the ball. Who's the toughest returner you had to face? Oh, Devin Hester by far. I mean, I was, I was in there when he was, he was still rolling. And uh, I mean, this guy, he, the way he can set things up and just use and he, his speed is, I mean, out there, his speed was remarkable. So it looked fast on television, but when you're on the field, it like, I mean, it's like a blur out there. And the way he was able to set up his blocks and just return the ball, I mean, it was, it was a feat and it was hard to do every time you had to help. You had to hype yourself up, whether you're on punt or kickoff, because, you know, at any moment, this guy could say something to the house, to the house. So you kind of had to always be on your P's and Q's, yeah. but he was definitely the, the hardest returner yeah. that I ever had to go against. Because yeah, I had Dante Hall on a couple months ago and I was asking him, like, as the returner, are you like in that doing that limitless mindset shit where you're just like <laughs> this he goes no nah, you just go i'm like all right you just, can do that too just go the instincts yeah. take over at that yeah. point do you, do you think cardell is the best in the league today uh without a doubt man that dude that's not that that's what i was gonna say is honorable mention because he 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 has the vision like hester but he's yeah. so much bigger and sh- yeah. like he was so he's like tackling a tight end out there who can run a four three so this dude, like half of the time, he doesn't even have to outrun guys. Guys just don't want to hit him because he's like a brick wall. I mean, he's built like a Adonis. So this guy's running through, just running through walls out there. So he's definitely, I think, the top returner. He has a chance, in my opinion, to break Devin Hester's record. Um, but they're both two great returners. They got the they got the instincts. They got everything down. And, of course, they got the speed to be able to do the job. So it's good to see Cordell still out there making a name for himself as a returner out there. And hopefully he's able to surpass Hester at that uh, at some point and during his career. I think that's Ant Fox has got that special feed just for him when the one just right. fu- they I was literally like, this has got to be pre-recorded. Like, how did they know? And he's literally just zigging zagging through everybody. And I'm like, what is I'm going on? You. We need to see this again. <laughs> Even if the guy gets tackled, we want to see this again. Where has this been? So no no, yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, so what was it like when you finally finally made the starting lineup? Starting rosters. So I, when I finally made it, it was uh, my third year in the league, and I finally cracked the starting lineup after training camp. I was going against a guy named um, Rodney Poole, who had just uh, came in on free agency to the Dallas Cowboys as a safety. It was uh, me and him competing for the other starting job opposite of uh, Gerald Sensenbaugh. So during camp, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, all right, I got to beat this guy out. So what I did was during the uh, offseason, you know, OTAs, minicamp, I always made sure I was working out with him. I always made sure he was my partner out there. One, just to see, like, all right, let me gauge, make sure I, I can, you know, gauge my skills against his as I'm going against her. But also it was just like, let me let me learn a little bit from this guy because he was, I think, about four or five years older than me in the league. So I was like, let me learn what I can learn from this guy. He had some uh, productive years while he was at the Jets. So let me learn what I could do. And um, as we progressed throughout the offseason, I kind of realized to myself, I'm, I'm on the same level as him as far as skill is concerned. So I, I can win this job. I started getting confidence in myself. And then right before training camp, we had this conditioning test and everybody destroyed the conditioning test. But Rodney ended up failing it. And that's when I was like, all right, it's, it's a wrap now. I got, I got this job now. And then the next day they ended up cutting Rodney and I was sewn in as a starter um, for the first day in training camp. And uh, ever since then, I didn't look back. I didn't look back and I was thrown into the lineup and I loved every piece of it because I was. I was around guys who loved the game, and it was a it was a very veteran-led team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we had, you know, DeMarcus Ware, Anthony Spencer, Sean Lee, you know, Marcus Spears was in there. We had guys on the corner, Terrence Newman and Mike Jenkins. Everybody was out there who had experience playing the game. So when I got it, when I got thrown in there, it was, it was easy to me because those guys were all making the calls, and I was just had to focus on my job. So I loved it, um, and unfortunately, at uh, the, the fourth game of the season, I ended up tearing my Achilles. 
So I was out for the rest of the year. You know, my first opportunity getting the cracking the starting lineup and then four games in, I tear my Achilles. So that sucked, but, you know, it gave me an opportunity to to heal and get back and get ready for the next year. And I didn't look back from there, but um, I just love that first that that being thrown into the yeah. starting lineup. I mean, it was it was a great experience overall. What was the low point of that recovery process when you were just kind of just like, this is taking too long? Man, it was it was about, so I, I tore it week four. I got to about week 15, and I was still in the boot, still in the cast, riding around on the scooter in a facility. And I just see all my boys, my teammates out there each and every day, you know, practicing, coming back, joking, talking. And, you know, they everybody says, you know, you're still part of the team. You're still part of the team when you're going through an injury like that where you're out the whole year. But you can feel it slowly just kind of, you know, the team kind of drifting away from you as you, you know, you're not in meetings, you're not in the locker room, you're not having that camaraderie with the team. You're kind of always just in the training room and it, it sucks, man. It sucks. And, and the team was kind of like, you know, they were going places at the time. So it just sucked that I wasn't a part of that. And uh, cause of, cause of injury. So, I mean, that, that, that was probably one of the lowest points of the, of the, of the, the whole rehab process. Yeah. Cause I couldn't really, couldn't really get back. It wasn't like I could go out there and run and get back, you know, get back in shape and all that other stuff. I was just stuck in a boot in a cast and I had to use a screw or a, a um, scooter to get around. So I was just like, man, this, this sucks. But once I was out of that boot, once I was able to work out with my teammates again, it all flowed back into the same. So, uh, but it definitely when the team started floating away from me, it was kind of like, damn, this is, this is a low point. This sucks right now. Were you able to get back to hundred percent? Cause I know they say Achilles, there's always a little bit of a drop off. Oh yeah, it was a little. It was a little. It's just the explosive part. Like uh, I was able to time. I actually timed faster running, but I just feel like the explosive part, like the jump in, the quick twitch, the oh man, I gotta, I gotta get out of here real quick. That kind of slowed down a little bit, um, especially at, definitely after the first year coming back. You definitely feel it, and then you gradually get somewhat closer back to what you were at the beginning. But you never, to me, you never get back a hundred percent, maybe 95, 94%, but you never get back a hundred percent. You lose that explosiveness just a little bit. Uh, but nowadays, I mean, with the technology and the and everything going on in medicine now, I mean, you got guys tearing ACLs, you know, coming back eight months later, like it's nothing. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So uh, with medicine now, who, who knows, who knows in the next couple of years, Achilles might be like a high angle sprain yeah. or something. No, guys, like, like they played like 40 years ago. They'd be like, man, I blew my knee out. That was it for my career. They're like, what? Like, that's eight months now. Yeah, that was that's an eight month injury. Yeah, but back then it was like, man, you you tear that, you tear that ACL, it's over with. Your career is done. I gotta go for. to the I gotta go to the mines now. We gotta I gotta find Yeah, I gotta, get, <laughs> I gotta go to the mines to get it in, man. It was I'm telling you, hey, sports medicine has yeah, come a long it, way. It's long un, way. It's unreal. And I want to ask you, since he just recently retired, uh, you have any fun Sean Lee stories? Oh, that's my dog right there. So I actually know Sean since um, high school. We've I've known him since about, yeah, because he was a year ahead of me in high school. He went to Upper St. Clair, Pittsburgh guy as well. And our teams went against each other. So me and Sean, I mean, we've known, we've gone way back. And then just to, to come back together and be drafted the same year, he was second round. I was undrafted, but coming to the same team, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And uh, I'll tell you this, he's one of, he's one of, if not the best teammate I've ever had. I mean, he's one of those guys that'll, no matter what's going on, he'll take the shirt off his back. If you're a young guy not understanding the scheme or the, the defense, he'll take time out of his out of his schedule to come and help you out. You know, I wasn't like that. I was like, hey, man, you got to figure this out on your own. I did. But he was he was the exact opposite. And that's what made him so great and such a great teammate is like he, he sacrificed everything, every snap for the team. I mean, you could you could see the guy even in training camp, how he was laboring back might have been hurting, you know, joints hurting. But he didn't care. He, you, he would give you 100% of whatever he had each and every down, even if it was in just practice, during training camp, whatever it was. 
And he was one of those guys, you know, that, that corny saying, you know, first in, last to leave. But he, he was one of those guys who came in and, I mean, he took the film study, which a lot of players don't do, but he took that film study to heart. I mean, he, he knew whatever formation was going to be come out from that offense that he, he knew the play that was coming off of it. So, I mean, he's one of the smartest players I've ever been around. He wasn't the most athletic by any means, but he was so smart that he always put himself in great positions, no matter what play it was. And he had a great career, 11, 11 years in, it felt like it went like that, yeah. but he's 11 years in. Um, it sucks that, you know, the injuries yeah. took a lot of that yeah. time out for him, where I think he would have gone down as one of the you know best linebackers in Dallas Cowboys history. Um, it's not the league history. So, it sucks about injuries, but overall, he had a great yeah. career, and uh, we'll see. Maybe he'll get in, the, you know. Maybe he'll get into coaching. Yeah. I extreme, I doubt it. I doubt it, but he, he might get into coaching, and uh, we'll see, though. We'll see. Well, if he has any, if he wants to play at all anymore, and maybe spite the Cowboys fans, I know Washington needs a second inside linebacker, so we'll see. And you're probably, hey, you never know. You never know. <laughs> we see Jason Witten do it. Yeah, they won eighty. And I want to ask you. So, um, why did you decide to sign with Jacksonville? Well, it came down to one, I look at their defensive side of the ball, and even though they weren't, you know, historically they weren't a good team, they've always had a good defense. They've always had a top 10 defense. And I looked there and I saw the Cats that were playing there. They had Telvin Smith, Miles Jack. They brought in Calais Campbell with me. They brought in A.J. Boyer. They had the um, probably the best corner in the league right now, and Jalen Ramsey on the other side. So when I came in there, I was like, man, look, these guys are going to make my job a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. You figure one side of the field is cut off from Boyer, one side of the field is cut off from Ramsey. I got a great defensive line. I can get after the quarterback. I mean, I'm going to flourish here. And I ended up doing that. My first year, I had four interceptions there, uh, two return for TDs. I mean, we were, we were flying all over the place. We ended up going to the AFC Championship. Yeah. I think we had the, the top-ranked defense overall oh, yeah. in, the, uh, in the National Football League. So we, we were rolling at that point, man. And, I was, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go there because that defense was – they were stout. And I knew if I just kind of add, I could just add a little veteran presence there. I mean, it ended up working out great. And then you also got to throw the money in there. They were, they were the top, the top pursuer uh, for me, as far as free agents uh, money is concerned. So I had to go down there for that, but um, that defense, man, it, it was lights out. Yeah. It was lights out down there. And uh, it was a great experience. Pretty sure if you look at like the best defense of the 2010s, I think it was you guys and then Legion of boom that one year. And I don't think anybody else really stacks up. Not, yeah, same here, man. I would say the same. That Legion of Boom, they were they were tough for a couple of yeah. years, man, with Earl and, and Cam Chancellor and those boys. And then we came in, they caught us Saxonville and the Jackson Five. We were we were out there, you know, doing what we had to do. So if only we could have did it for more than one year, I think we could have maybe surpassed Seattle. But cause Seattle did it for, what, two to three years at a time. Yeah. So we did it that one year. But if we were able to do it a couple of years, I think we might have been able to surpass them, boys. What was that AFC championship game? Like I was watching the highlights of before, before we jumped on the zoom. I'm just, I'm literally like they, they got control of the game and they'd be like, God damn it. They're playing Tom Brady. Oh, uh, we, we got Brady. We got Brady in that game. And it was, it was tough, man. Cause we, we had the momentum going. And I think what hurt us was before halftime when they threw the flag on me for knocking Gronkowski out. And uh, which was definitely not an illegal hit, man. I, I was all shoulder, all in his chest, whatever. They threw the flag on me. I was pissed, but you know, they did what they did. And then the next play, they threw a deep ball on Boyer, and they said it was pass interference when the kid was way out of bounds. So, um, I mean, those two things hurt us a lot. And so going into halftime, they were able to score on that last drive. It was 14 to 10. And with Brady, I mean, that's like a that's, that's like a zero zero with him. And uh, he was able to come out. And what they do best over there in New England is they make adjustments at halftime. 
and uh, we weren't able to adjust what they were doing. And they picked up what we on what we were doing, and they were able to throw the ball a little bit better in the second half. And like I said, the last two minutes, he, they were able to score, and we were one position possession away from going to the Super Bowl. But it just didn't it didn't come to fruition, man. And uh, it was tough. But Brady, I mean, he's he's the ultimate competitor, and uh, I was just glad, glad I was able to share the field with him on that instance. Is that PI on Gilmore or no? That final play of the game. Oh, hell yeah, that was P.I. on Bill on Gilmore. Hell yeah, it was, man. That was, we, man the, oh, I'll tell you what, man. It was <laughs> We were playing against the, the, the Patriots and the refs that day. Man, there was so many flags that should have been thrown or weren't thrown that was just – it was, man, it was it was impeccable. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, the hats goes off to them. They were able to go out there and, and beat us. They got beat by Philly the following game. So that was yeah. that was kind of a, a, a little uh, condolence for – or a little uh, – whatever prize for us but um overall man it was it was a great it was a great run was mercedes lewis on the team he was on the jags he's been yeah, on the jags he's, since he's 1885 still he's still every he's week every still week <laughs> am i the only person i feel like i'm not the only person every week when i see him out there i'm like he's still every week mercedes lewis back on still green bay still he, they re-signed him and i mean he, he'll give you about you know 10 catches 128 yards and a he had like four touchdowns, touchdowns in the game a couple of years ago I was like, what the heck? Mercedes Lewis still playing. I think it's year 16. But I'll tell you what, man, when I, my time in Jacksonville with him, he's one of the most prepared guys out there. He takes it very seriously as far as, you know, keeping his body in great shape, being prepared when it, whatever his job may um, be called upon to go do what he got to do. So, I mean, I know why he's been able to play for so long. But, man, 16 years in the yeah. league at that position, man, that, that's, that's got to be something. Got to gotta be something. Everybody's talking about oh, Brady's so old. Brady's been old. Man, Mercedes Lewis has been in the league since 1963. I don't know what's going on. Right? And he's doing he, – and his job, yeah. he's getting hit every down. He's out there blocking, hitting 300 pounders. I mean – for him to be able to last that long, I mean, it's remarkable. It's definitely yeah. remarkable. Yeah, because when, when Kyle Pitts gets into Canton, Mercedes Lewis, be, Mercedes Lewis, be, I got two years left. I'll be I'll be back in a couple of years. He's gonna be eighty yeah. years old still blocking, yeah. man. It's, yeah, no, it's he's ridiculous. Always, he's always out there, like man. He's gonna be there for when Jordan Love starts. So no yeah, doubt, <laughs> he might catch Love's first pass, but who knows? Yeah. Man. <laughs> um, who, in your opinion, who thinks has the best defense? Well, we'll, we'll go last year. This year, we don't know who who was the best defense in football last year. In your opinion, mm, best defense in football last year. That was that's a tough one. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, whew, I'm gonna have to go with. It's gonna be a tough. I'm gonna have to go with Baltimore, man. I'm gonna have to go with Baltimore, and they always have good defenses. But yeah, I just feel like last year they they clamped up a lot last year, but. Man, that's tough because the Rams had a good one too. So it's like, ah, but I'm gonna have to go Baltimore uh, just because they're consistency, man. They 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 do it year in and year out with different pieces. They they just they just plug and play no matter what's going on. And they're secondary. I mean, they got Marcus Peters who 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 gambles on a lot of stuff, yeah. but he actually he, he wins more than the times he loses. So I'm gonna have to go with uh Baltimore. They they just got a lot of studs on there on their defensive side of the ball. I don't know if it'll be the same this year. They lost a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of those studs that they had. So we'll see if they can plug and match and do all that good stuff. But overall, I'm gonna definitely have to say Baltimore. Last year, whew, Rams were good, but I'm gonna have to go Baltimore though. And then I want to ask you my, my last question for you: Who's the best safety in football? As of right now, the best safety in football, I gotta go with the cat in Pittsburgh, man, Mika Fitzpatrick. I mean, it, it's crazy how his career kind of did a 180. Because in yeah. in Miami, he, he was I, right. you know, he was just super yeah. athletic. He made a couple of plays, but here in Pittsburgh, man, he he's dominating, man. and he he looks like he's he's playing the game at a cerebral level 
where he wasn't doing in Miami because he he's he's you can see he just he's just predicting wherever wherever the ball's going he's gonna be there right before the, I mean it's just it's it's amazing he reminds me of Ed Reed a little bit out there in the sense to where he was able to play that middle of the field and he just never knew where he was gonna be at at the last minute you just saw a flash boom and he got the interception so he reminds me a lot of Ed Reed in that sense and he's able to tackle he's not one of those safeties that's all cover all you know all interceptions he's able to go out there and tackle and put his nose in there so Right now, I'm going to have to say he's the best safety in football, pure safety in football. And uh, I just I can't see the ceiling for this guy. I mean, it keeps going up and up. So hopefully he's able to continue his uh, great success so far in this league. You think how much longer do you think Ben's got? Ben should have been done last year. <laughs> ben, ben, ben should have been out of this thing last year. What else is he going to do? What else is he going to do? Sell yeah, cars? That's true. What else that's is he going to do? That's what I'm saying. So if, you, if you're still getting that paycheck, you might as well sign it. So he, I think I he's mean, paying he them. This is like an internship now. He's exactly. paying them. Just let me come on Sundays. Just let me in. Just let me throw these little five, six-yard yes. passes, man. But he, he should have been done last year, man. But he, I think he, this got to be his last one. This got to be his last year. He just he doesn't have no arm strength anymore. It kind of looks like, you know, how Breeze towards the end and that playoff run, he just couldn't really push it down the field. Yeah. That's why it's similar to, to, to Big Ben right now. And uh, I just don't see him being there much longer after this year. Then I want to ask you, I know you're doing some cool stuff with the Cowboys. How can people check that mm-hmm. out and kind of keep up with you? Uh, so I got my podcast with the Cowboys. It's uh, the Players' Lounge. Um, during the regular season, it's Monday through Friday, 1130 to 1230 on DallasCowboys.com. Um, during the offseason, which is right now, we're just on Fridays, 1130 to 1230. Same thing, DallasCowboys.com. And uh, during the season, I do the pre- and post-game shows for the Cowboys as well. And I got a new television show coming out called Hit Sticks. You got to check it out. We use the Madden platform in the background as we're breaking things down. So got a couple shows with them, and you can check them all out on DallasCowboys.com um, as we go forward. What's, what's the wildest fan experience you've had with the Cowboys fans since they're just they're nuts? <laughs> there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of crazy experiences, but... I mean, man, it's just, oof. I can't really come to mind nothing too crazy. What nothing about Eagles crazy. fans? Because I know Eagle, Eagles fans are from another planet. No, nah, no, nah, Eagles fans are wild, man. They tried to fight my granddad one day. I told my granddad, Wait, well, hold on. Like, so, uh, <laughs> tell that story. Tell that story. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're man, we're, it's an Eagles game. Uh, I think it's like 20, 2014 or 2015, one of those years. And my grandparents, they usually come to a lot of the games that are up north because those are the ones they can get yeah. to uh, as they live in Pittsburgh. So they, you know, they made the mistake of uh, wearing my jersey to the Philly to the Philly game, and I should have warned them. I should have been like, you know, Philly fans are they're crazy. They they they're really they they love their team to to a detriment. So they went up there, and as always, Philly, you know, when they give you away tickets, they seat you way at the top. All your family, you basically. You know how to do the flybys for it's the witness protection the at Lincoln Anthony. Financial Field. Yeah, yeah. you're you're at yeah. the very tip of the top. Yeah. So my grandparents are up there. They're barely being able to see me. They got to use the binoculars to see us. So anyways, they're rooting for me, going on. Yeah, BJ. They call me BJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, these Philly fans, man, they just weren't having it. I think we were putting it on Philly at that moment, so they were kind of salty about it, and they just weren't having it. So they let my granddad hear it, and my granddad, he, he he's been raised in, back in you know the, born in 1938, so he's been through a lot. And he's like, man, you ain't going to talk to me like that. So, yeah, I know my grand. He was like, I don't care how young you are compared to me. You're not going to talk to me like that. So, my grandma kind of kind of had to hold him back and, like, break him up. It was like, hey, we, hey, like, you know, do your own thing over there. So, my granddad was not having that. I would have loved to see my granddad hook one of those dudes. Just give him a nice little hook. I just would have loved to see it. But, man, Philly fans are crazy. So, I'm about to say that's one of the craziest situations uh I was a part of with fans, man. They tried to fight my granddad, who was at the time like 75. So it was, 
it was wild, man. It was wild. Now, the thing is, people always say, like, what are, like, the jobs you really don't want to have? I'm like, Eagle Stadium Security. Like, God bless them. Man, you, every week, is somebody's getting hit with a hot dog, somebody's getting smacked with a beer can or something. They used to have the jail down. there. They used to have the jail. Yeah. I mean, it was one uh, of the, I mean, every time we left the stadium, people were stumbling around drunk as hell, man. Every time we left the stadium from Philly, man, no matter wins or losses, they throw on stuff at your, at your vehicle, man. It's... It's it's a definitely an interesting stadium when you go up in there. Yeah, yeah. And then how can people find you on social media and keep up with you? Oh, so uh, both Twitter and Instagram is at uh, Barry Church Forty Two, and uh, like I said, that's both Instagram and Twitter. Those are the only social medias I have. So if you see anything on Facebook or anything like that, that's not your boy. So right. just at Barry Church Forty Two, Twitter and Instagram. All right, cool, 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 man. Well, really, really appreciate you taking the time, Jeff, for a few minutes today. All right, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah.